Hey, this is Barry, and you're listening to Alan and Brian on I Lived the 90s. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to a new episode of I Live the 90s. Today we are on episode 19 of this thing. As usual, I'm your boy, Alan, along with my boy, Brian. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing fantastic, man. Super excited about the way we are like wrapping up this season. You know, we got two more episodes before we take a little hiatus and come back strong for season two, but we've got two great episodes starting with this one today. Oh yeah, so today we're going to be talking about glow-ups, and uh, what we mean by glow-ups, not in the physical sense, but in the career sense. We're going to be covering uh, Queen Latifah, we're going to be covering Will Smith, we're going to be covering Ice Cubes, three young rappers from the 90s that started in rap and moved on to acting and then moved on to entrepreneurship. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to talk about, Uh, but first we're going to talk about our boy who's straight out of Carrollton. Professor Barry, let us know what's going on. Thanks, guys. I just got a few things to clarify and amplify on episode 18, Music Deaths in the 90s. Of course, a good place to start with Tupac and Biggie. That was uh, September and March of 96-97, our seventh grade year. But it wasn't until more than two years later, at the 9-9-1999 VMAs, that their mothers met for the first time and uh, presented an award. Additional bit of trivia, it was Will Smith who uh, introduced him at that show. The other Dr. Dre was co-host with Ed Lover of Yo! MTV Raps from 1989 to 1995. It was on that show that Source Magazine started started out giving out awards in 1991. That evolved into its own show in 1994, but it's the 1995 show that was a big deal and is still talked about today. I guess you guys, you guys can go look that up, but some of the highlights were Suge Knight dissing uh, Diddy for being a producer in the videos, uh, Snoop Dogg having his own separate rant about the East Coast, uh, West Coast uh, issues, and uh, group uh, Outcast got booed. They won for Best New Rap Group, but were from Atlanta and didn't fit into the Uh, East Coast, West Coast duopoly very neatly, and thus became a common enemy for everybody in the room. Not sure how anybody could forget Heavy D. He's uh, got a shout-out in uh, Biggie's uh, biggest hit, Juicy, Salt and Peppa Heavy D up in the limousine. Great song, great song. And surely Biggie knew Sean Carter slash Jay-Z early in his life. They went to high school together in New York. Not only that, they were there with Busta Rhymes and DMX. The uh, switch uh, abruptly here to uh, uh, the grunge sound, Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Nirvana did come first with their debut album, Bleach, in 1989. Uh, Both uh, Pearl Jam's 10 and Nevermind came out in 1991. Nevermind, of course, is where we get Smells Like Teen Spirit, which is why uh, Nirvana was playing that song in January of 1992 when Weird Al called SNL to, uh, to, to reach Kurt. The uh, Smells Like Nirvana p- uh, parody came out a few months later. Weird Al's biggest hit was Eat It, released in 1984, peaking at number 12, until 2006, when White and, Dirt, White and Nerdy uh, became his only top 10 hit, 9, and his only platinum record. So, White and Nerdy is uh, number 1. Switching back to Nirvana, it was the bassist, that you said looked like Andy Kaufman. His name was Krist uh, Novoselic, and he had his mishap throwing the bass at the September 1992 VMAs. So I guess a lot of stuff happens uh, there, too. After Nirvana broke up, uh, uh, Novoselic was in a, a few bands you've never heard of, some songs that uh, you you don't know, but now lives a quiet life on a farm with his family, grows his own food, and is involved in music related political issues and considers himself an independent. You're right, Genesis' biggest hit uh, was I Can't Dance, based on charting. Uh, Freddie Mercury died in November of 1991 of AIDS, as he uh, later confirmed in a statement that he released uh, uh, shortly after his death, that he wrote shortly before his death, but uh, was very private and asked that that be uh, maintained in the same statement. 
Wayne's World was released after that, in February of 1992, but it in Indeed contributed to the resurgence of the popularity of Bohemian Rhapsody. Semi-Charm Life was the uh, debut single off Third Eye Blind's eponymous debut album in 1996. It's about uh, drugs and addiction, specifically crystal, crystal meth will lift you up until you break it won't stop. And the, the high parts, the, uh, the cheeriness of the song uh, is meant to uh, evoke the, um, the highs on uh, crystal meth and stand in contrast to the uh, darker uh, undertones. Just a few uh, things here to wrap up. Uh, Mike Love, with a net worth of $90 million, uh, has almost twice as much as his uh, nephew, Kevin Love, $44 million. And I uh, wanted to close saying you guys made an especially good choice with The Bed, uh, Mo Money, Mo Problems, which is a posthumous biggie release featuring Diddy, and of course sampling I'm Coming Out by Diana Ross. All right, guys, that's all I got. Uh, thanks so much. Back to you. Hey, Barry. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for taking care of episode 18. Looking forward to seeing you live with us next week in episode 20. But to dive into episode 19 today, we're going to talk about 1990s glow-ups. Uh, we've been bantering around this one for a few weeks now, and finally we're able to cobble together from people that we thought were interesting that basically got their start and initial like rise in the 1990s, but then kind of took off meteorically into like whatever craft and crossing over like artistic ventures and different kinds of mediums. So I think it's going to be a great episode. Looking forward to it. Um, Alan, is there anybody you would like to start with between Will Smith, Ice Cube, and Queen Latifah? Uh, I say let's start with Ice Cube. Ice Cube's great, man. Um, we've, we talked about him a little bit in like the NWA stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if his name came up, but famously from the rap group, which was, I think, like late 1980s, right? Does that sound right? Late '80s, very early. I think by like 1991, they were they were over. Right. So they disbanded. Like, that's Easy E. That's Ice Cube. Who else was a part of that band? Doctor Doctor Dre. Dre. Was there a fourth that just like wasn't as memorable, or was it there may have three? been. All right. There may okay. have been. Oh, Professor Barry, you got first one on deck. Um, I wasn't allowed to listen to that stuff. Imagine that, me being a six year old, not being really down with NWA too too much. Um, and I didn't go. Oh back. man, that's the, that's a shame, man. I was all about that gangster <laughs> rap as a six year old. Were you? Not really. I mean, I did listen to Dr. Dre back then, the Chronic album. But that was much, much later. Yeah, I'm talking about when we were six years old in 1991 or whatever. Yeah, 91. It was probably more like <laughs> LL Cool J. I remember uh, we had the cassette tape of uh, "I'm Gonna Knock You." Mama said, "Knock you out." Well, I was I was into like Hammer and and. Uh... Ice, uh, not Ice Cube, what's his name? Vanilla Ice at that point. So we were divert. I didn't get hard until much later in the game. Um, but Ice Cube was really good. He actually left the band super early comparatively. I mean, like, it didn't have a long run, but he was the first one to kind of bail out. Um, and he talked about basically not being wanted anymore. And I don't know if there was a change in, like, the culture of the band or if, like, Easy e was having that ascent because he was kind of like the Nelly of that group like he was kind of the breakout star um he had that very like identifiable kind of like kind of like squirrely rap actually like mm -hmm. the, the style wasn't i don't know going back i'm like this guy this is like the guy he sounds like kind of meek and like mousy right yeah but you gotta listen to we want easy that's a great <laughs> solo song that he had easy he was a great rapper man and his voice was distinct and uh he he held on to that jerry curl look <laughs> Way longer than than when it was in style. So they were synonymous, and I don't know how much of this is like after the fact has been credited to them. But at the time, they were like all black. All they wore was all black. They had the the Raiders hats. They had just Raiders, the black yeah. sweatshirts, um, and that was their look, man. Like Easy E had that. He had that that little Jerry curl popping out the the bottom of the fitted uh, the fitted hat, <laughs> and. Uh, and then he had uh, the sunglasses, like the 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 Wayfarers. Like that was when they kind of got. I don't know if they got popular then, but like that was a very distinct look. Um, did you go back and watch that movie that they made about them, Straight Out of Compton? You know, I I didn't watch it in the theaters. I've 
I've caught it on TV and got really bored with it. Like I, I couldn't last one segment without flipping when the, when the commercial break came. I don't know. It, it didn't capture me. Yeah, I, I did. I never had the desire to watch it either, and I don't know what you know what that stems from. But keeping it on topic with Ice Cube, uh, I want to like just dig into like how he glowed up from this like really street rugged like straight up gangbanger. I mean, in an interview, he talked about you know they asked him like, hey, when you're 12 to 15, like what what were you worried about? Were you worried about like food? He was like. I was worried about getting shot and killed. Like, that's what I was worried about. So he's, like, from the streets, man. And maybe we'd know this if we'd watch Straight Outta Compton or could have made it past this segment. <laughs> well, he did. He, he's the most transitional, I think, of, of, the, of the folks we're discussing today because, you know, he was this hard gangster rapper. And then he, he broke into movies a little bit, but he started by playing, you know, hard gangsters. Like, yeah. he was... The first role I remember him in acting wise was Boys in the Hood. Yeah. And he played he played Doughboy. He was in and out of jail. Uh, he murdered people. He got murdered. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen it by now, that's your fault. <laughs> and uh, you know, and he did a really good job acting in that movie. It's yeah. he really played the part really well. Um, you know, sitting out on the stoop drinking a forty, harassing the uh, USC recruit that was coming to uh, to see his brother. <laughs> Uh, Doughboy was a great was a great character, and you know, just pumping iron and eating, man. What else are you gonna do when you're <laughs> when you're uh, when you're in the clink? <laughs> That's true, man. But then you know, uh, but then you know, he really transitioned to more range, more comedy, more um, kind of depth than what he was. Not depth, but just he was doing different things instead of being you know this snarling looking you know hard rapper gangster all the time. And that was in Friday, of course. Right. I mean, that's like. <sighs> I never think of it as one of my favorite movies, but when I like give it real thought or it comes up, I'm like, man, that movie is just, no matter when it is, I, it's so quotable because I've seen it so many times, and it was such a like moving movie that almost like had universal appeal, even though it was kind of like a black film for black people that they were going to understand. Like For whatever reason, like Chris Tucker, that was his breakout role too. It just clicked, and it's still, man, pound for pound, one of the best movies, one of the funniest movies. And just like on low budget, they don't leave the street, basically. Like it couldn't have cost that much money to make. I think the only other scene that was uh, kind of not on that street or on that block was at the convenience store (laughs) where uh, Ezel Ezel pretends to to slip and fall. (laughs) But, uh, you know, Debo, of course, Debo slash Zeus, uh, you know, big, big, big bully. I love that actor. I love that character. It is. I'm saying it right here on the record. It is my goal to have Tiny Lister be a guest on this podcast. It will happen. Mark my words. Mark the date. Mark the date. Um, I'm all for it. I would love to talk to that guy. Um, Because he's just... This came up with Suzanne and I talking about character actors. And I'm I'm not really sure what that... I throw that phrase around thinking I know what it means. But basically anybody who is not a main, like attraction character they play a very particular type i guess it's typecast is more the the term that i need and he like there's no getting away from the fact that he looks like he's an ass beater like that's what he looks like <laughs> he's just, and that's what he plays yes, exactly. in each and every role <laughs> and it's like oh here's like debo fighting this time but like I'm, i don't know how many, yeah. how many more he was in like multiple fridays he was in friday after next friday next friday i mean he was in all the fridays or two of them. He's in a mic. I mean, he's in the Michael Jackson. Remember the time video. You know what he's trying to do there? What? He's trying to whoop Michael Jackson's. <laughs> Perfect. Oh man. Yeah. Um. You know your favorite movie. I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, but a a very influential movie is um, No Holds Barred, and he's the is he the bad guy in that? He's the bad guy, yes. He is the enemy. He is Hulk Hogan's rival, which talk about range. You want to talk about actors that, you know, show range and, and you know, evolve with their careers. Hulk Hogan, the wrestler, <laughs> was in a movie called No Holds Barred where he played a wrestler. <laughs> following following in the footsteps of, of George Strait, who played a uh, country music singer, and Whitney Houston, who played a uh, pop star. Oh yeah, or you know Prince who played Prince, <laughs> and uh, Eminem who played B Rabbit. 
Yeah, not everybody glowed up. Let's get back to glowing up because that's that's what we're talking about. Yeah. So Friday, Friday was incredible. It's, I mean, I think my favorite. Who's your favorite? Okay, so we're taking out Debo, we're taking out Craig, and we're taking out Smokey. Who's like your favorite ancillary character in that movie? Oh, it's red. It's red, red man. <laughs> it's red. My grandma gave me that chain. <laughs> Mine? And the way he runs, the way he runs to his car after <laughs> that with his arms just flailing, and he and he uh, disables the alarm as he as he walks up to it. Oh my god! You gonna you gonna cry in the car? <laughs> Have you seen the the uh, like the screenshot or like the side by side of like Steph Curry? He's like in a game. Oh yeah. He's gonna... <laughs> oh man, mine is a tie. It's either Big Perm. Big worm. I mean, big worm, uh, or the like, the husband from across the street that like misses whatever. You know, she's sleeping around oh, with Ms. like Miss Parker. Miss Parker. I'm Miss Parker. <laughs> but the husband is the little person. I don't know his name, but he was in Bad Santa. Um, do you know who I'm talking about? The he's in every. He's in everything. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was in Bad Santa. He was in. Um... Me, myself, and Irene. He just—he's a—he's a—he's a short. I mean, he's a little person in every role. He, he's like the miniature version of Debo. Like yeah. everything he is in, he's there and he's whooping someone's. That's so true. That's two bleeps. That's two bleeps for you so far. I told you I was gonna step my game up on the uh, bleeping. The bleeping, I, America. I hope you love the bleeping because it's here to stay. Um. So yeah, it's between those two characters who are who are my favorite. But I don't begrudge you red at all. Um. So he transitioned after that. So he, I think he fronted the money, like he produced that. I don't know if he executive produced that, but he kind of bet on himself there. I don't know if he wrote that movie, Barry, if you could help us with that part, actually. I don't know if he wrote that movie, but he like quasi directed and wrote it, I think. Does that sound familiar? I know. Uh, well, you know, the, the actor that played Red also was a writer for that oh, movie. No, I didn't know that. See a comedian, I assume? Was that? See a comedian, I assume? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so from then he went on to the all time classic Anaconda with J Lo and John Voight. Oh, right. <laughs> Boy, that was some bad acting all around, man. Bad I mean, CGI. it was at the very beginning of CGI. So the snakes look horrible and it looked even worse, like on a 60 foot screen or however big screens are. The thing is, when you think about that movie, it had star power, but they all did just a fantastically crappy job like Luke Wilson like like he even died bad acting like you know when you're a kid and you play cops and robbers and like you get oh you got me oh and then you fall down like as the anaconda is like strangling him oh oh and he just like goes under the water is like oh and then Jennifer Lopez megastar terrible Ice Cube megastar not really that good in that movie John freaking Voight for crying out loud Old man, he was in The Champ, he was in uh, uh, Deliverance, he was in all these iconic movies, Mission shows Impossible. up with a ponytail and an accent. <laughs> like a Bayou accent? Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I lost, my suspension for disbelief was not at man-eating snakes, it was not that J-Lo was the crew chief of this, like, flat boat, it was that John Voight, at that age, with that ponytail could be wrapped up like with his arms tied up behind his back sitting on the floor right like he's tied up to a bar on you know because he's the bad guy at that point and with like the thrust from his <laughs> cheeks like <laughs> <laughs> pop himself up <laughs> and like start start beating up people. hey that's why you don't skip a doctor day at the gym. You don't skip leg day. You don't. You don't skip a doctor day. Every day is leg day. Oh man! All right, John Voight. Okay, moving back on to Ice Cube. We're not going to get through. We're just going to talk about Ice Cube this entire. This entire. <laughs> Are we there yet? <laughs> Are we there yet? What a great. That's a pun. That, that, that's that's about the movie. And are we there yet? Like, can we move on from Ice Cube now? <laughs> another, so he he got into this like random. He started making movies, and then he made like Barbershop, where he was like again casting himself as the lead, basically. Um, 
even though the story wasn't about him, I guess he, he was the the owner of the barber shop, but maybe he wasn't the lead because it was about like the two guys. Is it Anthony Hamilton? What's his name? They're trying to rob the the ATM. I, I don't remember too much about that movie, but it was a uh, a lot going on. I just remember the white guy. No, nobody would cut their hair with the white guy. And at the very end, he just gave that super crisp, very perfect like tapered fade. It's good. Affirmative action. <laughs> um. And then he made like yeah, that's when he he got into like kind of the the silly movies. You know where he was great in actually. I really enjoyed him in Twenty One Jump Street, where he's like the angry like police precinct like sheriff, not the sheriff. What's the who's the whoever the main guy is in the precinct, the captain. Um, mm-hmm. He was really great in like both of those, um, and he plays like angry funny very well. Like he's unintentionally yeah. funny but like it's you know it is funny which is like i don't know he's he's a talented guy man he, he gets behind the screen he gets he puts money into these things and now even then he's like started to reach out beyond the artistic thing which he likes and he, he talks about you know taking on projects that he really enjoys doing and the common man bringing the common man to life so he's like yeah i'm, I'm happy to play kind of the the uh, doughboys. i'm happy to play the mean tough guy but i really like playing these normal characters and bringing them to life. So like the, the owner of the shop in barbershop, um, Craig, people like that, that's the stuff he really gets behind. But, um, do you know what he's doing these days and what he's like stepped out of like entertainment altogether? Oh, it's still kind of entertainment. I mean, he's getting into sports. He had that, uh, that big three league that kind of gathers, gathers players that are retired, but not yet very old. Yeah. So, you know, you can still be in your 30s and be retired and still be really good at basketball, but just not good enough or healthy enough to play in the NBA anymore. Yeah. And, um, and you know, maybe younger younger guys that didn't really make it in the NBA but are still really talented. It's It's been a great league, a little three-on-three, half-court league. Uh, yeah. Mike Bibby showed up uh, as a coach. Jack yeah. is all heck. Have you He's seen how so he looks? He, he looks yeah. like a turtle. He looks like a turtle. <laughs> so what was great is uh katino mobley is in that league and like I, he doesn't believe in just for men i guess he's got the whitest head of hair and the whitest <laughs> beard but he's not that old he just looks old yeah. uh and he is just still schooling everybody on the court he's good he's really good um the only other tie-in that i have to that was that my i mean he was for ages my favorite texas tech basketball player andre emmett was in that league. And I don't know if he was the leading scorer, but he was like a top player in that league. That dude could get buckets. Like in the half court, he was a like low mid-range jumper. You know, he was a great player. Um, and he actually died last year. He was shot just like randomly. They got caught on a ring app uh, type thing where it was a robbery gone wrong. They were trying to figure out if he was actually targeted, but just some guys rolled up on him. He was pulling into his house around two in the morning. And, uh, they they called him out of his car. They start chasing him down the street and just shot him as he was running away. It's really sad. Jeez, that's that's terrible, man. Yeah, um, but I think you you nailed what the big three was about because when it came out and was like announced, I was really like down on it. I thought this seems like stupid. Where are they going to play these things? And I guess I underestimated the like desire for basketball in that league because there's a lot of things like the drew league and there's these games at rucker park and there's all these like random underground things that they were piggybacking off of which it was just bringing that part of the game to life sort of like the extension of like the and one because that was huge back for us in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and one mixtapes and all that stuff and this is kind of like a evolution of that thing basically where hey we, we're going to take the guys that can still hoop and we're going to play two games at once. So they, they take a regular NBA or, or a small arena and they play multiple games like in that city. Because I thought it was like, wait, mm-hmm. you're going to have like Los, Los Angeles playing against Dallas. Like nobody's going to – like it's too much travel for three – I mean, I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know the economics of it. But the way they ended up executing it was really, really good. And he's, he's just turned out to be super successful, hard-driven, hard-working guy, man. It's very impressive. All across the medium. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he used his... I mean, you got to have smarts to do what he did, and you got to make sound fine. I mean, how many stories do we hear where a celebrity makes a lot of money, 
making music or making movies and they blow it on really bad investments. And it's just like, why did you even do that? You know, you made a fortune just at a minimum, just sit on it. But if you're going to invest it, invest it smart. But Ice Cube's perfect example of just make smart, smart decisions and uh, really believes in all the projects that he, he he doesn't take on a project unless he really, really believes in it. And I think that's why he's been successful. I think you're absolutely right, man. I, I That's a great way to wrap that up, Alan. Um, let's move forward. Let's go to, um, I say Queen Latifah next. Um, she also started as a rapper. Like, you know, like Will Smith, like everybody that we're talking about today, started in the rap game. Um, she was kind of authoritative. She's even got a great name, like a great stage name, Queen Latifah. And she's a big presence, like, on the mic. She's a big presence in person. I think she's just... She's got a, she's got command of the room when she walks into it. Um, and it was a little like um, a girl version of just, like, gangbanger music, right? I think, you know, I know UNITY came out later in, like, 1993, but right when she came out, kind of 89, 90, it was really kind of, like, as hardcore rap as it could be for females, right? Yeah, you know, I, I never really was exposed or knew much about queen latifah's rap music mm-hmm. um i knew there was a rapper named queen latifah because she was kind of commercial from the very beginning totally. i mean even when she was just a rapper i would see her on yeah. commercials it reebok commercials or whatever who's that it's queen latifah she's a rapper okay but i don't really know what she <laughs> raps but yeah. what um what really when i really started noticing her was uh when she was in the show living single yeah from the from the moment i remember i remember that show debuted it was her and uh, Trudy from Facts of Life, she was all she was she was all grown up now. And then uh, the the girl um, Pam from the Cosby Show, yeah, like they all had done they had all had just come from something else that they had just did. And uh, and Sinclair, who was on In Living Color, like at oh, like really? the very end of the In Living Colors run, she was uh, she was on there. And till this day, I mean. That's the thing I miss about 90s sitcoms is, and even 80s sitcoms is, there's no intro, good intro themes anymore. You know, now you flip on a sitcom, if it's on Netflix, the Netflix logo goes by and it goes right into it. Right. Um, the living single opening theme song is the is a banger. I mean, that right there could stand alone. <laughs> totally agree. I totally. As the number as one song. hit in the yeah. 90s, I love that song. That's a great song. Um, so 1993 was a key year. That's the year that living single started it had a five-year run 1993 to 1998 and that's when she won a grammy also for black rain um i don't know if it was just for the song or if it was for i think it was for the entire album um so she was popping at that time and had basically said i'm a star i'm here to stay um she ended up having seven albums so she was making albums from 1989 to 2009 so even though we kind of knew like I, i'm right there with you when you said like i knew she was a rapper but you know, mostly I know her for her TV stuff and then getting into movies and becoming, you know, a bona fide star, basically, like a, um, in, in, that, in that kind of a genre of, of artistry. I think when she moved on to movies, there's a few that I liked. Well, let's not get there yet. Let's kind of keep the focus on Living Single. Her as Living Single, they were in Chicago? Uh, I'm not, I think it was Chicago. Chicago. Some sort of Midwest city, basically, because it, it was cold. Um, but it was on the same night. It was basically the answer to NBC's. It was Fox's answer to NBC's. Um, was must the night TV. of must side of, Yeah, must see TV. Because all three of those shows, In Living Color, Martin, and Living Single, were all on the same night. Correct? No, Maybe? I'm not so sure. Okay. I uh, uh, Living Color came on Sundays, oh, and okay. Martin and Living Single they were paired together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was on a weeknight. Makes sense. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, I believe it. Um, but those two shows, I mean, you know, we already did Martin Lawrence and how, how awesome he was. It was just like, it was an hour block of TV that you knew you were going to just be laughing your butt off the entire time, which was fantastic. I liked Overton. I liked Kyle. I liked that whole crew. Um, it was basically, and we talked about this before. We talked, it was basically black friends, I think. Is yeah, what I exactly. About. And they were first. Yeah, and uh, living single was first. I th- ooh, Barry, here's a good one. I think they were offered the name. 
Friends for the name of that show. I, I, I don't know. I would not make that up. I don't know where I read it, but I'm super interested. I'm going to go look that up after this. They might have been offered that that title, the, the name of that show, Friends, which would have been insane. On, I guess we wouldn't have known it any other way. But that show was great. Um, anything, any particular episode or character that like made you laugh just sight on, sight, not sight unseen, but just like that you resonated with or that like stood out to you for any reason? I'll never forget one scene from an episode where um, Trudy. I, I don't even forget the, her character's name on the so show. I just the Regine actress that plays Trudy. Regine, Regine might have been the one, or is it? Regina Maxine? was Pam from okay. Cosby Show. And then Maxine, that was the one that. No, Kyle Maxine was Pam. That's right. Maxine <laughs> was Pam. Regina was Trudy. Yeah, Regine, not Regina. Her name was Ray. Oh, okay. Was bougie. That's how I know that. <laughs> and then Sinclair. All right, so Regine, right, what did so, you do? So Regine got, uh, I think, stood up on a date. And so, you know, all her girlfriends are around her kind of consoling her. And they you know it becomes a big man-hating session. <laughs> and uh, and then I think Sinclair goes, can you imagine how good the world would be like without men? Like, what would it be like? And Queen Latifah goes, a bunch of fat, happy women and no crime. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> um I always liked Sinclair. She was a very sweet-natured, like, she was the offset to, like, Khadijah's, they were cousins on the show. She was the offset to, like, Khadijah's harsh, like, she was about that business. Like, true to life, like, Khadijah, who was played by Queen Latifah, was about that business. She was going out, she was the leader of the pack, and she just had no, like, she kept everybody in line and, like, all their, like, craziness about them, like, she put a lid on it and kind of was the mother hen to all them. So she was just a serious character, and Sinclair just kind of lightened the mood a little bit. Um, but then, I mean, not even then, Queen Latifah kind of bounced back and forth between and started taking movie roles, basically. And she did the same thing that Ice Cube did, which is she started off with Set It Off, start, you know, kind of that, right. that gangbanger, like really harsh, strong female lead character. Mm-hmm. And she had made some, um, she'd made some guest appearances. She made two guest appearances on Fresh Prince, playing a different character on each appearance. Okay. So her, fir- her so her first appearance. This was early in the show. She was Hillary's boss. She was a she was oh. a celebrity, and yeah. Hillary was hired as her assistant. She was real mean Hickory. to to, Hickory. Uh, to Hillary. And then uh, on a different episode, she was Will's like girlfriend, and like she was fat and not very attractive, and yeah. Will was embarrassed to be around her, and the and the show was about that. Interesting. I do remember. I remember both of those. Man, great, great recall. Um, she was actually nominated for an Oscar uh, as a supporting actress in Chicago, and showed the range of like her voice because that's a a musical. Uh, I never, I never saw that movie because I was not into musicals in high school senior year. But um, you know, I know it got a, a bunch of play. A lot of was that like Moulin Rouge came out at the same time, and I get both of those casts like very confused. Because they were like similar, you know, like sing-songy musicals that came out. For some reason, musicals were really hot around that time. Yeah, man, those came out, and then like and dance and ballet dancing, like Center Stage, yeah. came out and uh, were... saved the last dance with oh, yeah. uh, with Styles, Julia Styles. <laughs> and then, well, then they got Step Up, Step Up to the Streets. So, I mean, like dancing was kind of a big deal in the early aughts, I guess. Like step ups, it, it's become like Fast and the Furious. There, there's like twelve of those things. Like those are still going. They're going, but now it's like straight to video, straight to DVD, straight to <laughs> straight to Hulu. I mean, there, there's a bunch of them. Step up, Paris. <laughs> it's like Air Bud, you know. <laughs> by by the by the eighth one, he's driving NASCAR. <laughs> So she she went back to TV, actually, and did a show called The Queen Latifah Show, which was a little bit Oprah-ish. I think she was trying to tackle heavy, heavy, you know, topics, which is, like, really good of her. Because I think, you know, you there's, there's a couple ways it can go. You were talking about, like, losing money. Like, people that have a lot of money end up losing it. And people that find other avenues to make more money, like Ice Cube did. And I think she's always had a little bit of, like, an 
activist gene in her where she wants to do good like for her community and bring up these things and highlight the problems of what goes on in the black community so it seems she's been at the at the forward face of that um for most times and she's calmed down like she's almost i mean she has absolutely completely like rubbed off that like veneer or that exterior of like the tough like street thug girl like she's just a Hollywood leading lady at this point in her in her life. I mean, she's fifty years old now. Oh yeah, but I tell you, she is a beautiful woman. Yeah, and she she for someone that grew up, you know, and and started with with a rap career and kind of this hard, harsh, you know, edgy image. She is so feminine, so beautiful, yeah, so glamorous. Uh, I remember she. I think she didn't she have a L'Oreal spot for a while. She was doing the 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 commercials. Yep. yep. Um, just uh, glam glamorous man. Just just. You go, Queen Latifah, man. You're 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 a beautiful woman. <laughs> Queen Latifah's awesome. I rec- I, I second that uh, motion uh, with Queen Latifah. Um, anything before we kind of move on to our final subject of this episode? Do you have anything else about let's keep, Queen Latifah? Let's keep it rolling. Awesome. All right, we're gonna go to Big Willie Style himself, Will Smith. We just talked about him in the two episodes that Queen Latifah ended up in um, as Hillary's boss and as his girlfriend. But before that, he started off as a rapper as well. But not necessarily, he wasn't a gimmick rapper, but he also wasn't like a hardcore like banger. And I think he's been pretty true to that. He's from West Philadelphia, born and raised. Everybody knows that. Um, and that's true to life. But he never tried to be something that he wasn't, at least in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about that and his sort of like rapping career. And if there is like a perpetual like you know how christmas season has all these songs and, like the mariah carey song comes back and the uh the beatles song right. and the out like every summer for me like skilo comes back like i wish i was a little bit taller i wish i was a baller like that's just an evergreen for me and then the other one is summertime by like will smith and i think it's because it's got those same vibes of like hooping on a court like out in the middle of summer basically like on a on an open air court Oh yeah, I till this day that is summertime is still my favorite Fresh Prince slash Will Smith uh, song. Ooh. It the the vibes of it, man. It's it's so smooth and and again he he's again just like you said he's not trying to be anyone he's not he's just rapping about life yeah. and that song summertime he paints an entire day from sunrise to sunset it's great. of everything he's doing that and you see it. I mean and even the in the music video is less descriptive than the song itself if you just listen to the words. So the music video is kind of generic. It's just uh, kind of him and, and Jazzy Jeff, you know, there's, they're sitting on a car. There's like a, there's movement going on behind them. You know, you can tell it's a green screen. Uh, but the, the visuals of the, of the song and the lyrics itself just paints the picture and you experience just this perfect summer day, getting your car washed, going to a barbecue, Picking out some new sneakers. It's uh, it's awesome. I agree. And I want to rewind the tape a little bit because you know what else did that in a very similar way? And maybe even more so that the video was a little bit more um, helpful in painting the picture was It Was a Good Day by Ice Cube. Like same things, same oh, yeah. vibes. SoCal vibes, just like that's that's what it made me think of, that, that entire song too. He's rolling in the, I mean, what is that? Like an Impala probably? Like a 6 foe? Things just bouncing up and down. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Summertime, it might be, I, there's, it's, it's what we talked about last week where no matter where I catch that song, I'm going to listen to it the entire way. I may even like restart it. Like when it comes up, I don't, I'm sure I have it on a playlist somewhere, but you know, when it does come on, it's like instant good vibes, instant good mood. And I'm just like, all right, yeah, summertime, man. It, 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 and, it comes and what up. I really like about that song, and maybe this is, you know, we got to give maybe Jazzy Jeff more more credit because I think he's the one that lays the, the beats down for those early Fresh Prince hits. I mean, every CD or cassette, it's Fresh Prince and, and Jazzy Jeff. Yeah, they were a duo. Yeah. And um, what's great about that song is when the lyrics end, the beat just kind of continues for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a solid minute, minute and a half of just the beat going, just summertime. vibing out, just kind of getting yeah, softer and softer. It's, uh, it's, it's great. It's a perfect summer jam. I Can't it. beat it. I agree. Um, so from there, obviously, like that, that was kind of a rise in tandem with the show and like his career kind of like overlapping perfectly at that point. 
Um, and I think we can spend a lot of time on Fresh Prince. I'm willing to go as long as you want about all facets of this because it's such a seminal... We could do an entire episode on this on itself, but I think since we're going to get into it here, let's may as well just like take our time with it and kind of flush things out because it was such a good show for all the reasons that we brought it up, like the three or four times that it's come up already in season one here of I Live the 90s. But also, people were upset with him that he was cast in that role, actually, because he had no actual acting no acting like, experience. Yeah. He had no experience. He wasn't trained. And there were people with, like, you forget about this thing. Like, you assume... I don't want to speak for you. I'm sorry. I, a lot of times, work under the assumption that the people that I'm seeing on TV are some version of those people in real life. Like, of course, you bring who you are to a role. And there are great actors who can, like, it doesn't matter what role they're playing. I, I cease to see them. Christian Bale, right? I cease to see Christian Bale whenever I see that guy acting. The opposite of that is like Tom Cruise. No matter what role Tom Cruise takes on, I'm watching Tom Cruise in that role personally. And right. these people are like, some of them are thespians. And we take them as like, oh, they're on this like hokey sitcom that like may get picked up, but probably is going to get canceled. And we just kind of like slough it off. But this is like their craft. This is their art. This is what they do and what defines them. And I'm getting to a particular point with Aunt Viv. Um, Actually, I, I think you know a lot more about this in particular. I know, you know, we didn't talk about this too much in the show prep, but if there's anything you can kind of navigate us through, like, the switches in Ant Viv and, and kind of highlighting where I've left us to this point. Well, there was beef between them. Right. There was heat. Uh, she didn't like him, and I think part of that had to do with the fact that he wasn't trained. Right. And uh, he really wasn't that good of an actor, really, when he when he first started. I mean, he was kind of going through it, and uh, but I mean, yeah, he was green, yeah. and uh, she was experienced, and I think maybe she felt that he was a little too privileged. Um, you know, the show is his show, and it's not it's not that he went from not having any acting experience to being in a show. No, right. he went from not having any acting experience to having a show. Yeah, you know, she was his supporting actor. And, uh, you know, till this day, they still don't get along. And she kind of went psycho. She will post videos on her Instagram where she's ripping on him. Really? Um, yeah, because it got to a point they couldn't work together. And right. who are you going to get rid of? Will Smith or, or Aunt Viv? Well, she lost her job. That's actually sort of a an interesting – there are two thoughts that came to mind when you said that. The first is that's the way – sitcoms used to go and i've heard this in hearing like comedians interviewing each other on random podcasts these days where it was like you were working to get a show it's like kevin james had an entire act hopefully somebody saw that act and was like oh we can build a character around this same thing with like ray romano same thing with jerry seinfeld that was the way to do it basically so i think under those circumstances aunt viv i don't know her, her actual name would have been okay with somebody who had like sort of earned it in that way, but she felt as though he didn't. And the other thing that kind of corresponded with Aunt Viv's maybe attitudes at that point was something that happened with other like TV moms that I've kind of learned about as well, which was wanting a bigger role in the shows. So obviously Aunt Viv wanted, and we'll, we'll get into that right after this actually, but the mom from... What was the Tim Allen show? Home Improvement. Home Improvement. She wanted a bigger role in her show too and thought like, I am every bit the actor that Tim Allen, you know, Tim Allen also green came off. That was his first show. So there was always this kind of like, there's a way that Hollywood operated, which is like male dominated. I mean, like we've looked back and we've seen stuff like that. And now maybe that's evened out a little bit more, but at the time they just kind of had like wives around them basically. And that, Attitudes were kind of changing at that point. And then the same thing with Ray Romano. Um, Arquette, maybe is her name? Something Arquette. Um, she wanted a bigger kind of role, too. Um, but swinging back to to this one, I remember that iconic episode where she just has this, like, random dance number. Um, like the yoga, not yoga. She's, like, wearing, like, the yoga suit. But, like, clearly she's a classically trained dancer as well as an actor. And yeah. that entire thing that they wrote into the show where, like, she like became an was she teaching a class she also became a teacher no no she she it was her she, it was like her 40th birthday and she was feeling old so she joined this dance class to see if she still got it and 
the class she was in with the, you know, people 20 years, you know, girls 20 years her junior, and they were looking yeah. her up and down. What are you yeah. doing here? And uh, she she nailed the routine in front of everybody and kind of stuck it to them at the end. That's what it was. Um, and then the other one, she ended up being like very intelligent woman and was a teacher for them. And they thought, oh, we're like, we're going to get an A in this class. But she ended up being kind of a kind of a hard ass on them and like taking them, putting the screws to the boys in their show. And I think she kept wanting that. And they were like, well, no, this isn't like sort of like there's two two decisions to make. There's like, well, this is actually the Will Smith show. This, we're going to do the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, not the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air's aunt, right? And they right. decided to continue taking it that way. And Family Matters had the similar thing. And they're like, actually, we're going to go after this ancillary character. We're just going to chase that dragon for as long as we can because that's like what's going to put money in everybody's pocket. And everybody was kind of cool with that. They're like, all right. I mean, I don't know, cool, but like, you know, maybe Judy, Judy's not cool with it because she got, yeah. <laughs> she got fired. Um, but yeah, super interesting stuff. Um, any thoughts, just whatever you want on, on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, well, final, final thought on the show before yeah. we, you know, go on to the next part of Will Smith's career was remember they had a cancellation scare where they thought their season was going to be a final season. They were worried they were going to get canceled, so they wanted to have a conclusive ending to it. Okay. So the end of that season, Will Smith goes up to visit his mom, and then the final scene oh. is him calling and saying, you know, I'm, I'm not coming back. I'm, I'm staying up here. And then it ends as the Fresh Prince of Philadelphia with, like, I question did. marks. Oh, so man. that way, if it got canceled, it's like they left on a hanger, and then the audience can interpret themselves, you know, does he stay in Philadelphia or not? Mm -hmm. Well, the show didn't get canceled. It got renewed, and they're like, what do we do now? And so they did the best, just most, breaking the fourth wall. The opening scene of the that season is – the NBC executives go to Philadelphia, grab Will Smith, and throw him, and throw him in the back of the production truck. <laughs> Said, what are you doing? We can't do the show here. And then just bring him back. <laughs> I, I did not remember any of that until you said it, and then I remembered it absolutely as you, as you uh, spoke about it. Oh, perfect. Oh, man. All right, so we're continuing on with Will Smith's glow up. After, that show is just incredible. How Barry, tell us how long that show ran. Was that like a ten-year run on that show? It was like maybe no, no, it was it was, it was shorter than you think. Yeah, it was maybe nineteen ninety to ninety-five or ninety-six. I was in sixth grade when the when the final episode aired. Gotcha, gotcha. How did that one end? Spoiler alert. Uh, they all moved. Oh yeah, that's uh, right. Will got an apartment and uh, they moved to the East Coast. Was that um, Philip Banks's job? What did he do? Do you remember? I think he, I mean, he was a judge, so I yeah. guess he just retired. But Ashley and Hillary got jobs on the East Coast, and they moved out there. So then Philip and Vivian moved out there with them. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and Carlton ended up finally getting into Princeton, I think. <laughs> Good for him. Good for Carlton. <laughs> Talk about the most, like, probably supposed to be least likable, but guy you cheer for anyway character is, like, Carlton Banks. Like, you just don't want to like him, but in spite of himself, like he was incredible. Alfonso Ribeiro was incredible. Tell the okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna give I'm gonna set you up on a T. Here it is. I'm not even gonna throw a pass pitch down the middle. Just setting you up on a T. How was the world introduced to Alfonso Ribeiro? Oh man, so uh, Michael Jackson pre hair catching on fire Pepsi <laughs> endorsement did a lot of uh, Pepsi commercials where he's dancing in the video holding the pet doing the moonwalk with the Pepsi can. And little Alfonso Ribeiro in that red Michael Jackson jacket would dance with Michael Jackson in those Pepsi commercials. I might post a few on the um, on the Facebook to check them out because it's and things he looks exactly the same. But that but that boy could dance. He yeah, could man. absolutely dance, and uh, he actually got so famous just from those commercials that he uh, released his own breaking and popping how to. VHS tape that Pop you could order from all the Teen Bot magazines and stuff. Brilliant. Oh, that's genius. Um, so from there, Will Smith sort of like had a little bit of like a dip. I don't know if it was a dip or just like out, like growing up. I think those were very formative years. Normally guys are in college at that point doing something. He, I don't remember. I remember just like a two year gap where there was like Fresh Prince of Bel Air ends and there's nothing. And then he just explodes back on the scene in the middle of like TRL. 
He's like doing a full court press and he's just out there with the drop of his album, Big Willie style, which was like, I don't know a kid that did not have that album. Was that the same experience down in Houston? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, getting jiggy with it and what, just the two of us and uh, Miami. But the thing is, we skipped a step here because he, he did come out with that album, but it wasn't after doing nothing. Okay. That album was riding the wave of his absolute launch into movie stardom. Because you got to remember, he was Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He was Will Smith in that show. Immediately after Fresh Prince was over, boom, Independence Day. Boom, Men in Black. Wow, I had and my then, timeline messed up then. No, that's absolutely right. Good call. Sorry. Yeah. And then uh, and then riding that wave, and remember, when Big Willie style came out, he wasn't Fresh Prince anymore. This was under the name Will, Will Smith. Smith. Yeah. So Will Smith, the actor, became its own entity, where now Will Smith, that you know from acting, is now going to put out an album as Will Smith. That was a huge, huge thing for him, in my opinion, to not – to kind of – throw Fresh Prince persona totally to the side and be, I'm Will Smith, the entertainment machine. And now let me do some more music for you. Brilliant. No, thank you for catching that. Thank you for like taking us back. Cause that's, man, I don't know. I just, yeah, in my head, I had a, I had a different timeline. Um, you know, as you can tell folks, we don't go back too much because we don't want to like re-remember things that we didn't actually remember. Like that, that's what the genius of this show is. And like, Alan, you know, I sing your praises every chance I get, but man, you've got a really good way of recapturing and retelling these things which makes this this show just so much fun to do because i'm re remembering it through like that lens too so independence day was just made him a bona fide superstar and then he had a run that is i don't know I'm, i don't know enough about acting to say it's unparalleled but like he had a run of just like hit after hit after hit um and to where he got sort of in the 2000s he got real like in the same way Queen Latifah did, like real acting credentials, he became he honed his craft because he is the type of guy that just decides I'm going to be good at something and I'm going to work my tail off until I get good at it and then I want to be the best at it that I can be. So you're right, man. Like maybe that's why it was such a surprise to me that he was coming back to rapping because he was already on the ascent to becoming Will Smith, like world superstar, basically. Right. Um, yeah, and I think that was kind of to show that he could still do it. It's almost like, you know, former rapper turned actor, and he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, hang on, I can still rap, and I'll sh- and I'll show you." One hundo, and he was clean. I think that was the biggest deal too, that he didn't like feel the need to like regather any street cred or anything like that. Like he played it as like like you said, that was the best way to put it. The entity Will Smith was a rapper now, and that entity and that image was super clean, very clean cut. You know, he, you know, like he's still an adult, still, you know, use bad words and stuff. But I remember it just being a very tailored and like refined creation. Yeah, he he really used each talent to lift up the other. Mm-hmm. So Mega Movie comes out. He comes out with the Men in Black song to showcase both his acting and his rapping and each each one was a mega hit the song was a hit from the soundtrack the movie was a hit um it's almost like he's the he's the much better version of Shaq. like i i I re-watched the kazam recently it's on disney plus so i watched it Uh and you can tell that movie was made to launch Shaq into superstardom in, in entertainment. You know, we want to, we want to show off his acting chops and there's a lot of rap in that movie too. He does a lot of genie raps in that movie. They want to show that off too. And he absolutely sucked at both. Yeah. So it tore, it tore, it torpedoed any chance that he had of reaching success in either of those. But, uh, Will Smith, ab- absolute opposite. Perfect at both. So I think what was funny is that I had initial like friction with, um, Men in Black when it came out because if you remember, that was like seventh grade for us maybe, eighth grade maybe. I think it was summer. I think it was maybe summer of seventh grade. What had come out just before that with the same tune was actually "Fast Love" by George Michael. Do you remember that song? No. So it's the same. The Men in Black. Whatever that. Whatever that hook is. They're like, so they're both sampling the same song. They're both sampling the forget me nots. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but um, it was, so it's off of the titled, uh, t- the album is older. So this was actually George Michael's, um, George Michael's comeback. And this is a weird year for me, actually. So breaking the fourth wall of the, you know, of the episode here. Sixth grade, I haven't actually talked about this. I may not have talked about this on the, the podcast yet, but sixth grade, I actually spent half the year in San Antonio. So for the first half of sixth year grade, I was in elementary school. My mom took a job down in San Antonio as a nurse, and she was having a tough time trying to figure out, like, is this something I actually want to do? Am I going to disrupt my kid and pull him out of school only to, like, take him back? Because I'm not so sure about this job. So my grandparents were like, hey, he can stay with us for the remainder of the semester. So I spent over the half a year. So the second semester had already started, basically. And I went to – eventually, it was just, like, too much. I was like – this is back in the in the time when like long distance cost a lot of money and my grandparents couldn't afford it. So my mom was buying me like calling cards. So that's what she would send me. I had just a stack of calling cards. I would dial, you know, whatever 20 digit number it was. I would call her in San Antonio and like we would just talk. And I was mostly fine for the like a few weeks. And I think after like a month, I like I just remember like crying. Like I gotta come. Like I, I can't. I can't do this. I need, and she was on like tears on the other line. She's like, all right, I'm sending like, I'm sending a flight for you like tomorrow, basically. So like within a week I had like decided, like I was out of that school and like in school in San Antonio. So she enrolls me at Eisenhower junior high. So like I got to skip an entire step of like finishing off elementary and I go straight into intermediate school because it's the way Houston was. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just got into like really random things in San Antonio. It's like this whole like weird subset of like my childhood that was like six months long i got into like music like that like i, I would have never been into george michael I, w- he, I was too young for him originally but i was just kind of like on my own a lot there i didn't have any friends so i just kind of got into the things that i liked so like music and then i got into like the monsters actually it's the only time in my life that i watched the monsters the tv show <laughs> so they would oh. show it after tv i was a latchkey kid, it's so. a good Hey, that's a good show, man. It really and the was. judge from my cousin Vinny is uh, Herman Munster. <laughs> Great call. Yes. So it was just like a weird time. I had I had uh, two friends. Uh, they were twins, Harold and Daryl. Uh, I don't know if ever <laughs> <laughs> black kids, um, but they lived in the same apartment complex with me. So we'd get off at the same uh, time. And the only kid that I was friends with was actually a kid that started school with me that day. Um, and his name was Reed. I don't remember much about him, but he was a San Antonio Spurs fan. And this was around the time that David Robinson won the MVP. So oh, check out this story. Before, before, I, he got, before he got smoked man, by Hakeem Olajuwon. I, I don't want to get too far up, but I have to tell this story because you're a Rockets fan. Sorry, guys. If you're bored with this episode, we'll be back next week. But so at this <laughs> point at Eisenhower Junior High, I there's this assembly, right? They call this assembly to, to the, to the room. And they're telling us like, don't do drugs. There's no hope with dope, whatever, whatever day or whatever they were doing at that point. And uh, it's Sean Elliott of like the San Antonio Spurs. So he's up there talking about, you know, hard work and dedication and you can reach for the stars, whatever the, whatever the hell he was talking, you can tell. And um, they were giving out swag, right? Like Spurs swag. Like that's the whole point. And they're like uh, setting it up on a tee. And I remember like knowing a ton about sports because I was just getting really into it because I didn't have any friends. So I was just, I knew everything about everything at that point. Um, and a kid gets the mic and he's asking questions. And, and Sean Elliott asks, like, hey, who won the most recent MVP? And the kid goes up there and he's like, Hakeem Olajuwon. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody just loses it and starts booing this kid. <laughs> He's like, "Well, no, somebody else give somebody else help him out." <laughs> and of course, it was David Robinson. So that's my like spiral into like the six. I don't think about it too much, but like that six months in in San Antonio was definitely a very formative time in my life. But back Harold out, and Daryl, man, Darryl, did you ever find them on Facebook or anything I'll like that? I'll look for them. I'll look for it. So let's crawl back out the hole. We're going to go back to the Munsters, <laughs> back to Lubbock, back to George Michael, back to what what song was was he was that was I I'm a bigger fan of? What was that uh, Men in Black song? They sampled the same. Yeah. Thing. 
So let's crawl out of that hole and back to the main episode. <laughs> I may just cut all that and put it like in a sub subsection of like, here's explains why. <laughs> that was deep. My bad, guys. Hey, I like that story. That's good. Thank you. It's good to be validated. Um, I talked a lot there, so why don't you kind of push us forward in this episode? Man, Will Smith, man, he movie after movie, album after album. Uh, I mean, all of his movies are good. All, at least all of his acting that he did in a movie was good, even if the movie itself wasn't good. Like Wild Wild West sucked, but he was good in that movie. Yeah. Uh, Hancock sucked, but Will Smith also sucked uh, in that movie. That that's really the only that, one that, that kind of killed that, it. I think he that was killed that it was run, bad. Basically. Yeah. Because then he was trying to, like, he did The Pursuit of Happiness, and then he did another movie with Jaden. He did, like, I, Robot, and he did, he basically was trying to make Jaden Smith a star, and people were not accepting it for some reason. Like, it just didn't take... What's that, what's that super goofy one? Man, I don't even know if it even lasted in the theaters. It was so bad. Uh, I think they pulled the plug in it early, where they're wearing, like, flight suits. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I remember being in a theater and seeing a preview for that. I was like, you have got to be freaking kidding me. There's there's no – this isn't real. This isn't a real movie trailer, is it? It was so stupid. But um, I think he ditched his kid. I don't think he's trying to, to push no, him forward anymore. So, yeah, I mean, you know, despite his, like, best efforts to, like, make Jaden Smith a thing, they'll always have, like, the reboot, which was the Jackie Chan reboot. What movie was that? um the remake of karate. very popular karate, thank you sorry yeah karate kid um do you remember that movie did you like did you man like i i ref, i refuse to really watch it man <laughs> i i i'm a purist when it comes to karate kid it has to be ralph macchio i had no interest in a karate kid remake i i caught it on tv and again just like um just like and uh, straight out of compton i made it through one segment and it was it was time to flip but uh, I do know that Will Smith either bought or I know Professor will, will clear this up. He has some sort of stake in the Karate Kid franchise, oh. and Will Smith is the one who blessed uh, Cobra Kai, the series, the sequel series, which is on Netflix now. Now that series came out a few a, a couple years ago. I watched it when it was on YouTube Red. But who has YouTube Red, right? <laughs> Nobody saw it. Now it's on Netflix. The, there's been two seasons. The third season's about to come out. I got to tell you, Cobra Kai is an awesome, awesome show. The original actors are in it. has Ralph Macchio and, and, uh, and Billy Zapka, Johnny. Yeah. And uh, the way they've told the story, you're really on Johnny's side now. Like, it's, it's more about Johnny and Johnny's efforts to kind of change his ways, run a successful dojo, bring back Cobra Kai, but do it the right way. Yeah. You know, not the no mercy stuff where we bully a bunch of kids. And what's funny is his um, in the Karate Kid movies, the cool kids were in Cobra Kai. Yeah. But now the only students he can attract are like nerds. So like <laughs> he's training up geeks to 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 defend themselves and have confidence. It is a great show. It is brilliant. It it is the only nostalgia show that's come out so far, a reboot show that I think has done perfect justice. To the to the to the original story arc, I, I highly recommend Cobra Kai. You got to watch it. Ooh, that 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 Alan Sawiris seal and stamp of approval. Last week he gave it to Pet Sounds. This week it is Cobra Kai. People don't take these these things lightly. Get out there and watch this stuff, um, dude. Alan, I, man, that was a wild ride. I w I was hopeful about it because I know we had been talking about it for a while. And I feel like we let that thing breathe in a way that like was fantastic. We talked about three incredible, incredibly talented people that like they start from like I don't know humble beginnings. I don't want to discredit them, but they start with not everything handed to them, and they work their tails off, and they just dominated. And that's that's a, like talk about American dream type stuff, man. Like good for them, and I love all three of these guys. Yeah, you know, I'll call back to when we did our boy band episode, how I said talent finds a way. Yeah. You know, that's that's the reason Justin Timberlake emerged above, you know, every, everyone else. These people are talented. They are talented artists, talented performers, smart people. So all they need is that entry into show business and your talents will take you from there. And that's three examples of how they did that. Not just as actors, mm -hmm. not just as musicians, but as business people, mm -hmm. as directors, as writers, um, as producers. It's, yeah. uh, it's amazing that the, the talent finds a way.
excellent. I, I, I would only sully it by trying to add on to that. So, man, Alan, um, in this penultimate uh, episode, I feel like we did it very well. Um, I've already teased it on the Facebook group. So for those of you that are not in the Facebook group, first, get in there. It's time. Um, you're missing out on like something that's, that might even be better than the podcast here. Like that Facebook group is just like, it's a, I, I like seeing notifications from that thing. Because um, I know somebody has thought about it and put something good for me to like laugh at or remember. But we are going to have the final episode of season one, episode 20 next week. And we're bringing on the professor himself. Professor Barry is going to be on a full episode with us. I'm, I'm jacked about that. Oh, I'm Jack too. I'm very excited to uh, have have uh, the professor on for a full episode, and uh, we're not going to tell you the topic yet, but it is a topic that is very, very special to the professor. So tune in. We got a great season finale coming up next week. Awesome. Thanks so much for making time tonight, Alan. Always good talking to you, buddy. You too, man. Good night. Thanks for listening to I Live the 90s. You can find past podcasts along with a companion blog with photos on the website, ilivethe90s.com, 90s spelled out. You can also listen to Alan and Brian on Apple or Spotify. If you subscribe or leave a comment, it helps more people discover the podcast. Thanks so much for your support.